Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Hello, my name is David Fortney from Fortney Scott, and welcome to another edition of the DC Insider Podcast. Joining me is a couple of our DC insiders, including Leslie Silverman, who's back. Hey, Leslie. Hey, David. How are you? Great. Glad to have you back. And Nita Beecher. Hi, David. Ready to be back to talk about EEOC with you. Super. That's exactly right. And so EEOC, Leslie reported last time about the hearing they held, and she went to and gave us a really good debrief on that. And of course, what we were expecting and anticipating was the guidance. Well, as most people were preparing for Memorial Day weekend, EEOC slipped out the guidance Friday afternoon before Memorial Day weekend, and I think uh, is going to enable us to have a pretty good discussion because it raises a number of issues and clarifies some points on vaccination incentives, whether you can have mandatory vaccinations, confidentiality, and also how to deal with the workplace, those that are vaccinated, non-vaccinated, and kind of what the rules of the road are. So let's delve into those issues a little bit. And Leslie, I'm going to ask you to initially tell us what the EEOC issued for us on Friday before Memorial Weekend. The EEOC has been keeping its guidance up to date, or it had been till about December, and it had different sections of its guidance. And Section K had to do with vaccinations. And that is the section that EEOC updated on May 28th, right before the weekend. And while EEOC didn't answer every question employers have, The May 28th guidance changes went a long way in answering how federal EEO laws apply to COVID-19 vaccinations. And I don't think anything that they wrote is really surprising. I mean, what they try to do in these guidance documents is really kind of interpret the law as it applies here. So one issue that employers had been pleading with the EEOC on, which you had mentioned earlier, which vaccination incentives. Can employers encourage their workers to get vaccinated by offering them either a monetary or a non-monetary incentive without running afoul of the federal EEO laws? And as I predicted in the guidance, EEOC confirmed that in most instances, the law does not restrict employers from offering incentives to encourage employees to get the COVID-19 vaccination. Leslie, what I found interesting was the difference between when the employer says, go out and get vaccinated by CVS, Walgreens, whomever, versus what kinds of incentives they can provide when the employer is actually doing the vaccinating. Uh, The EEOC seemed to say that there was no real limit on the types of incentives that could be provided in a situation where the employee goes to a third party and gets vaccinated. Can you explain that a little bit? Why is there a difference? Well, it kind of gets into some ADA geekiness, to be honest. The federal EEO laws do not limit the employer's ability to offer incentives to employees who are vaccinated by a third-party provider. And they do, as Nita said, limit an employer when the employer either offers the vaccination itself or through an agent. And the reason for that is because in order to 
offer the vaccine, the employer has to ask pre-screening questions. And these questions trigger the ADA because they are considered medical inquiries and they are prohibited under the ADA unless they are voluntary. And that voluntary word is the important word. A large incentive would likely be considered coercive because it makes employees feel pressure to disclose protected medical information. And that would be in response to those questions. And then they're no longer voluntary. But the guidance did not provide examples or a bright line as to how much is too much. I saw that a number of commentators who've reviewed the guidance were concerned that EEOC didn't at least provide, you know, $1,000 to get employees to be vaccinated was too much or whatever. What are your thoughts around that? You know, it would have been great if the EEOC had done that, if they had provided a bright line uh, test, but I'm not the least bit surprised that they did not do it here. They have been struggling with this issue of voluntariness for a long time. In a bigger context, the scope of incentives that employers may offer an employee as part of a wellness program, it kicks in the Americans with Disabilities Act as well as GINA. And EEOC had one time had landed on amount, and the AARP successfully challenged the agency's regulations. They introduced new regulations on that at the very, very end of the Trump administration. But those regulations were withdrawn by the Biden administration. And it's likely we're not going to see movement there at all until Democrats make up the majority of the commission. So that means that we have to kind of go by a rule of thumb. And I think that rule of thumb would be about $100. But one question, and maybe you two know the answer of, what if an employer follows like the state of Maryland and offers some kind of like a lottery for vaccinated employees? I think that's an interesting question because I think it varies based on what you were just saying. As long as the employees are getting their shots outside the employer's premises that the employer is not providing it, I don't see that EEOC is going to say anything about it. I think the question's just going to be in a situation where they're doing on-site. That's correct, because it does not apply if they're doing it on the outside. They can give as much as they want. So I guess that's why Ohio can offer a million bucks to get vaccines and, <laughs> and the lottery and all that good stuff. Okay. Well, it goes. I guess it runs from a Krispy Kreme donut to a beer to a million dollar scholarship uh, award. So, so it's all out there, but that's of course not what employers can be doing. We're more constrained by this fairly ambiguous limit. We can offer incentives, but again, no bright lines, but at least we have a green light for reasonable incentives under the circumstances. Truth be told, I think we can work with that is my sense in that context. What about mandatory vaccines? Nita, I know you've looked at that and had some folks uh, you've been talking to about that. Let's start with that a little bit and talk about, can you mandate the vaccines? EEOC did say in the guidance that employers can mandate the vaccine. And basically what they said, they can say that they can require all the workers physically entering a workplace to be vaccinated. Here's the trick. As long as they provide reasonable accommodation to those who have disabilities and thereby can't get the shot or those who have religious objections to getting the vaccine. And I think that's going to be the tricky part uh, because there are a number of people who have sincere religious beliefs that they can't be vaccinated. Interestingly, David, I did see two studies that show 
that somewhere between 75 to 80 percent of employers are not going to mandate vaccines at this point in time. They are simply going to, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, they're using other methods and that's where I think the incentives are so important. So Leslie, having talked about mandated vaccines, can employees argue that it's a reasonable accommodation to work from home? Well, employees can request whatever reasonable accommodation they want, including continuing to work from home. But as we know, the ADA does not give employees the ability to dictate the reasonable accommodations. So long as the employer engages in the interactive process, and, and I'm going to say this over and over again, if the employer is following the CDC guidelines, and I realize they change, so roughly following the CDC guidelines, for example, masks, social distancing, and other employees are vaccinated in the office, the employer does not have to grant an employee's reasonable accommodation to work from home. They could, but they don't have to. You know, if there was more community spread or something else was going on circumstance-wise, I would say they would. But in many circumstances, they don't have to. The interesting thing that the EEOC has said is that just because people have been allowed to work from home during the pandemic did not automatically mean that they would be allowed in those situations to continue to work from home as a reasonable accommodation. Now, whether that's going to continue under the Biden administration, I don't know. That's true. And there's a little bit more latitude there. And I think it depends on what other employees are doing and what type of job that employee has. But the fact that they were working from home does not mean that they get to automatically continue to work from home. So in addition to these federal law accommodation issues, and particularly ADA accommodation, uh, we also have that whole patchwork of state laws that, that remain out there. And this adds a whole layer. And many of our clients, of course, have multi-state operations. So it's not necessarily one solution or one response that will fit all. And so this question about mandatory vaccines has really been, in my view, kind of snapped into focus with the litigation that was filed by employees at a hospital in Houston, whereby the Houston hospital announces we're going to mandate by mid-June, all of our workforce is to be vaccinated. So jab for a job. And I think a trend that many employers are looking at, few have announced, but this hospital, that was their announcement. What's the result? Litigation challenge. Court filings in the state of Texas saying, look, you cannot mandate that. It encroaches on my personal freedom. So it's not an accommodation. It's really a personal freedom. And it also relies on the emergency use authorization uh, underlying the current vaccines that are available at this point. One of those requirements for an EUA, emergency use authorization, is that the vaccine is supposed to be voluntary. For those employees that are mandating, the answer to voluntary is, if you want to work here, that's voluntary. You need to be vaccinated. That's true. And, you know, the fact is we started talking about the EEOC guidance. And the EEOC guidance um, only impacts the federal EEO laws. It, and they say right at the beginning, you know, there may be state laws that do apply. And in fact, you know, Texas law might be different than the U.S. law. But under the EEO laws, you can mandate a vaccine provided you offer a reasonable accommodation. How about confirmation, Nita? Are we on the honor system or what do you do if you're saying we're going to mandate a vaccine or people say have a vaccine? Is it just the honor system? The person says, yeah, I'm good. I got vaccinated. 
Well, the EEOC has given us guidance on that as well. You can ask and employees can be asked to show you their little card, the little cardboard card that we all carry around in our wallets. And uh, But if they take down, yes, Joe has been vaccinated, or if they take a copy of that vaccination card, that becomes an ADA medical record. So Leslie, I think it's so weird. Asking does not come under the ADA, but if you put it down in writing, it does. And so that's something employers need to keep in mind. And actually, Nita, it's a little bit broader than that, to be honest. And this is, again, a little bit of a geeky way that the ADA applies here. And that is uh, because vaccination status is considered medical information. So like all medical information, employers must keep documentation or other confirmation of vaccination confidential and stored separately from the employee's files. But it goes beyond that because these confidentiality protections apply to status. So they apply regardless of whether the employee gets the vaccination and regardless of whether they actually collect the documentation. Now, before your head starts spinning, well, what does that mean? I wanted to say this. So say having an employee who's not vaccinated wearing a mask, is that saying their vaccination status? I don't think the EEOC would say, yeah, that is, that has to be protected because there'd be no way. And I think they would call that an inadvertent disclosure. On the other hand, if you have your employees wear something on their clothing that indicates whether they're vaccinated or not, that would be a confidentiality issue for the EEOC. That's really interesting. And just to tie back to some surveys I've seen recently, almost no employers are going to mandate. Many of them are going on the honor system, David, as you recommended. They don't want to have to deal with this collection and retention of this data. They're just going, if you're vaccinated, you can come in, you don't need to wear a mask. And they're not even requiring employees to be in different places. That's kind of what the surveys are saying. So that kind of leads us naturally to kind of what the workplace as we move into June and through the summer and people are coming back to work now that we have the CEOC guidance, what is it going to look like? It's starting to sound like we're going to have vaccinated and potentially non-vaccinated people both in the workplace. There are different options open to employers. You know, are you going to require everyone to come back to work? What does that look like? Can you change assignments? Can you segregate those that are vaccinated from those that are not vaccinated? Should you? How do we sort of grapple with some of those issues? Leslie, let me ask you to start. Let's kick off on some of those topics and really talk about, let's start with kind of legal. And then I think there's also some HR components that are helpful to sort of flesh out for people too. So let's start with kind of legally, okay, we have the guidance. What are we going to do in the real world as people are coming back? Well, David, I said it before and I'll say it again. I think you can treat vaccinated and unvaccinated employees differently. But the rule of thumb is when you're doing that, you have to be trying to follow the CDC guidelines. So having employees who aren't vaccinated wear masks or be socially distanced or maybe not attend a meeting in a closed conference room would be an example of following the CDC guidelines if you can't get the six feet apart. I think that's fine, at least legally. It may be hard for employees who aren't vaccinated, but legally that is what you know these EEOC guidance and the guidelines are saying. Nita, what do you think about that? I mean, you get back in an office environment, 
you're having a meeting, a lunch meeting, perhaps, all those that say they've been vaccinated, they're in the conference room. Those that aren't want to join. I guess they're sitting in their office on a Zoom screen, just like they were at home, but now they're in their office joining the lunch meeting. Is that what we're doing? I don't think so. I think based on the surveys we're seeing, most employers, they're going to let it rip. I mean, I think you have a serious issue if you start discriminating against people who are vaccinated, non-vaccinated. And by that, I mean, you're going to have employee issues because all of this has become so politicized. You're going to have employee issues within the organization. And I think from an HR perspective, if you're going to be on the honor system, then you're going to let people come to these meetings. And the truth is the vaccinated people aren't the one who are going to be affected. The non-vaccinated people are the ones who most likely will get sick from that perspective, David. And I think one thing is that might be comfortable for some people and not comfortable for others. And then they could ask for a reasonable accommodation of not being in the conference room or not attending the right. lunch in person. And in those cases, I, I mean, an employer would be foolhardy not to just agree to that. Sure. And I think the other thing, and we touch primarily on the vulnerability to employees and that that often motivates their conduct, but we do know that often individuals have people in their households that are vulnerable and have concerns that they themselves may transmit a disease from interactions with others. So they may be leaving themselves open there. One other piece of data that I thought was just to kind of close this out, David, is one of the reasons that employers apparently are not mandating vaccines and that type of thing is a third of them are afraid of legal liability. They're afraid of being sued in these states they're afraid of being sued by their employees and so forth. So I think they're just extremely nervous and they're just going to use the honor system and hope everything goes okay. The honor system coupled with the efficacy of the vaccines uh, mean that most people should Correct. be okay, at least those that are vaccinated. Well, final thoughts, Leslie. The honor system is fine, but just remember somebody's vaccination status is still protected under the ADA, no matter what, if you know it. <laughs> It's a good thought. Nita? I think employers need to be mindful of the thoughts and concerns of their employees around these issues as well. One more thought. When in yeah. doubt, follow the CDC guidelines because this is what I'm hearing from inside EEOC that's going to protect you if you're worried about that aspect of it. Super. That's a great point. And thank you both because this has really been, I think, a really this is the reality that employers are facing, which is what are we going to do? We now have the guidance. The guidance is not a total checklist. There still are, is a lot of discretion, a lot of decisions to be made. The only thing I would add to this excellent discussion is pre-planning, going through the scenarios, what your meetings look like, what your cafeteria, your coffee stations, how it's going to work. Are you gonna have people coming in in groups, subgroups? Are you gonna let everyone come in? All the things we've talked about this for a long time, this really puts a premium on doing that and doing so thoughtfully and communicating to your workforce before they return what it's going to look like and actually starting that training and communication in advance, I think as a practical matter, will serve you well. Well, there's a lot more information on the EEOC guidance on the Fortney Scott website, including a great report that Leslie did, a very detailed report on the hearing that the EEOC had that underlies, the, and as well as a copy of the EEOC's current most updated guidance. To help us really kind of get to the ground level, 
on what we do on returning to the workplace. In our next podcast discussion, I'm really pleased that Nita Beecher is going to be joined by Denise Bowen and Brittany Fisher from Providence Health. And they're going to tell us how they, which they, Providence Health, the third largest healthcare provider in the United States, and I might add, the first entity that had the initial diagnosis of a COVID case in the United States, how they have been weathering the storm and where they are in responding. They have had a lot of experience in this, and they're doing so in a very successful manner. So I think that will be a really nice kind of capstone on this discussion on return to work. So with that, I just want to remind people, please, we appreciate you listening. Subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Apple, Spotify, and others. And there's, again, lots of information on our website. And thanks again, both Leslie and Nita. Really enjoyed having you on this podcast. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.